fantastic copywriter and marketer from Meaningful Marketing. We covered topics about building customer personas, how to get some cut through, how to build a marketing plan for events, for AV companies. And we also touched on how to use TikTok for building an audience and what you can do with them. So please enjoy this fantastic conversation. Uh, better podcast. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank for you. Being here. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I'm happy to have you and be here. Um, no, it's great. It's an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Of course, of course. So, uh, for those who don't haven't had the pleasure of seeing your TikToks, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of where you got to where you are? Yeah. Um, so, my name's Alex James. I uh, kind of am semi-famous on TikTok. I past 100,000 followers a couple of days ago. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Well done. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. Um, but really, I've just been, uh, I'm, I'm a copywriter essentially by trade, um, which means that I uh, take a business's kind of value proposition and then put it into words or kind of help them put it into words so that they can kind of win more customers essentially and so i kind of like have my own kind of agency model and do that but my career in marketing really started by me lying my way into a <laughs> marketing internship um, fake it that till I was, you make it that's correct. correct yeah exactly <laughs> and, and actually i mean to be honest it really kicked off as i was about to quit marketing because i hated it so much i was about to like leave okay. the industry but I, I kind of lied my way into this marketing internship because i was at this call center before and and i hated it there um and so i kind of saw this as like my way out of that hellscape and so I kind of got in and um, I just like threw myself into learning every single digital marketing tip and trick there was I was like reading the HubSpot blog and obsessing over Neil Patel and every Google search algorithm update that was ever released um, <laughs> which was a lot at that time and it was kind of like I was I was doing whatever I needed to do to kind of get as many eyeballs on the business that I was working for as mm. possible and and it worked like I got a lot of impressions I got a lot of views the problem was that those views were never really turning into clicks and those clicks were like never turning into actual customers for this business. That, that actually brings me to kind of the next question I want to ask is you spent a lot of time as a copywriter, you wrote all of this copy uh, on your website, brought all these people here. How is the words you're using important? Yeah, how does it become important for, for turning those that views into clicks? Well, this is the thing. It's like you can, it's, you can kind of, you can, you know, use the right hashtags or you can use whatever you want. Just to, like, it's never actually been easier to get in front of people mm. uh, in the history of all mankind to like get attention. Um, the problem is like what you do, like, what do you do with that once you have it? And like, how do you make that worthwhile? Mm. And so when I was kind of driving a lot of views to this business, I was doing everything I could and, and, and nothing was really like moving the needle in terms of actual like, return on investment but like after after like three months of doing this um i guess just seeing how busy i was the this kind of internship that i was doing they offered me like a full-time role which i mm. took because you know i kind of earned my grown-up job but um <laughs> i kind of felt it felt quite hollow because i was like i didn't feel like i i didn't have imposter syndrome i just was an imposter i didn't know what i was doing and not long after that um the boss kind of cottoned on 
that like all the changes I'd made and everything I'd done hadn't actually translated to any actual value uh, mm. or revenue for his business. And so he started to like, you know, openly micromanage me, um, which if you've ever been in that situation is not cool. Um, no. It is not. <laughs> it's, bad. it's a bad time. And so I was, it's, it's kind of got to that point where I was just like, I'd just come, like, come home from work and I'd just sit on the couch and just like zombie out and mm. then go to bed and then go back into work the next day for another day of banging my head against the wall. Um, yeah. And so it got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to go back to the call center because I can't, I, I hate it there, but at least I know how to do that job and mm. I won't be publicly shamed for it. Yeah. That must have been hard. Like you, you, you were spending all of this time working your day job, spending all of this time driving people to your site, but you're like, I still need to go back to the call center, even though you're getting, you know, thousands of people come to your site. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not enough to get attention. you got to, like, turn yeah. it into action. Mm. Um, and so I actually, like, wrote up, the, like, my resignation letter. And before I, like, you know, sent it along, I met up with a friend who kind of, like, worked his way up to this kind of, um, you know, senior marketing position at one of the mm. big consulting firms. And I sat him down and I just kind of told him, oh, I'm actually going to go back to the call center and this is why marketing's not for me. I don't have the the smarts or the insight mm. that I thought I did. Um, and he, and I kind of, he was like, he asked me more about it and I told them what was what had been going on and he was like oh you're doing it all wrong i said what do you mean okay and he said he said this like eight word sentence that just changed my life forever he said most marketing problems are copywriting problems in disguise that's a good quote yeah and and just kind of things started to click for me and Mm. i stopped like I was like, okay, maybe I need to learn copywriting then. Like, let's actually like dedicate some time to it, um, because all the everything I was putting out there wasn't resonating with human beings. It didn't matter if mm. I showed it to one person or a million people. It wasn't a human-centered message that I was sending to them. And and so what I did is I stopped reading the Google search algorithm updates and I started like learning and diving into the world of copywriting. And when mm. I did all this, this world of like strategy and positioning and psychology and messaging just opened up. And then, like, I started applying that, and it was, like, going from, like, the hardest difficulty setting to easy mode. Like, the Mm. same audience I couldn't get to budge before were now flooding in. Nothing about the product had changed, only the words around it had. And when when my boss saw the results, he started acting like my best friend again, and that was kind of toxic. (laughs) But um, it was really that experience that kind of just taught me, like, it's 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 about the message that you're sending the, mm. your message matters most and that's really like what copywriting is to me it's like just crafting and sending a really powerful message we've actually worked before in the past which is fantastic i've, I've really appreciated having time to pick your brains on many things uh, and one of the things that you worked with us on is building a persona um, yeah so i would really like to kind of get a better understanding of like what a pers- a customer persona is and especially how do you kind of craft this messaging that you you were talking about to that specific persona so what a customer persona is is essentially someone usually like an imaginary person within your target market you have a market that you're trying to sell to and there's someone in there that kind of represents your ideal buyer and your ideal buyer mm-hmm. for me is not like necessarily the person that you most want to buy, but the person who's most likely to buy. Mm. It's kind of like going where the demand is, not trying to kind of muster it up yourself because that's much harder. You want to channel demand, not create it. And so what a customer persona is, is really just mapping out like who is 
this person. Let's actually get a good understanding of them. And so really what we want to do is say like, what most customer personas do is I'll go, okay, well, let's let's go. Let's say we've, we're talking to uh, Sally from HR and she likes to listen to music and she goes to the gym twice a week and she doesn't drive to work. She catches the train. And, and like this is the kind of stuff that you find in personas and it's mm. useless for the most part because it's like, well, that doesn't actually inform her purchasing decision. And so yeah. what you really want to understand is you, you, you want to see like what are they trying to achieve and then what's stopping them from achieving that thing? And then how does what you provide help them achieve that thing and overcome those obstacles? Those kind of three steps of like, what are their goals? What's stopping them from achieving them, those goals? And then how does your solution remove those obstacles so that they can achieve those goals? If you tap into that and craft your messaging around that, you'll, you'll speak to them where they are not like at them which is what most businesses try and do they try to be louder but they need to just be be more precise well i mean that's that's a really good uh lead to what what i wanted to know is let's say you've got 10 different types of customers you sell a ton of different products can you just be too broad can you end up creating too many is is it better to be broad or focused What's better? Yeah, it depends on where you are as a business if you are a billion dollar brand Oftentimes they have like multiple personas, multiple markets that they're actually tapping into because each of your kind of customer avatars, your customer personas should just represent a slice of a, well, it should represent a market that you're going after. And then a sub-segment within that market is is a better approach to be more specific. Um, But what I see a lot of businesses do is that they'll try and like, they'll, they'll kickstart with like, we've got like, we've got five, six, seven personas and we're trying to talk to everyone all at the same time. And mm. it just dilutes all the messaging because it's like, well, you're not, you're trying to talk to everyone, you end up talking to no one. Mm. And so what I recommend is the advice from, um, uh, from someone I look up to called April Dunford, who's the, the positioning queen of Silicon Valley. And she says, if you're under a million dollars in revenue a year, you should only have one persona. If mm. you're a million to five million, to maximum and then from there you can kind of like build out and expand out um but what's more important is really just understanding like where can we provide the most value where can we provide the most value and then let's give that value to that one person because again they'll be most likely to buy it's about going where the demand is i want to ask you so a lot of the people who watch our podcasts are event managers av teams you know we're an events platform and COVID has really changed the way events and marketing event marketing uh is undertaken these days um i want to ask have you seen any changes in the way people on mass are changing sort of their purchasing decisions because of COVID, because of lockdowns, because of I work from home, it seems to be a, a very, very different world we're in right now. Would you say that you need to really adapt the conversation to this more locked down world or, or no? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think what we're seeing is that like as as the world is kind of like opening back up, there are some industries that are kind of you see this kind of peak of like if you look at like the sales of like, you know, men's suits, you know, it's going at normal trajectory, then it bottoms out during COVID. And now we're actually seeing it like start to return and it, and you can almost draw a straight line. If you kind of ignore this big bottom out, it's just going right back to where it was. It's kind of mm. the boring line of upward mobility. Um, but we're seeing other industries. It's like, well, they can never be the same. 
Yeah. I feel like the event space is certainly within that. People now are like, well, why should I have to fly halfway across <laughs> the world just to like see someone talk? And then I got to go and like report that back to my boss and make sure that they know <laughs> that that investment was worth it. And really what, what uh, I, I think what we're seeing in the event space, and you could probably attest to this, is that like people really need to be able to consume the kind of key information from thought leaders in their industry, but they need to also not sacrifice the rest of their life in order to get that information um and so what i'm seeing well uh, at least with events in in my kind of marketing space um is these event organizers will actually give the people who are attending like here are some key talking points for you to like equip you to sell them onto your boss to justify the ticket price mm. it's like hey if, if you want to come along to this and you need to get your boss over the line, here's like the three or four things that you can say to them to actually convey the value of this event. And so I see that working really, really well. That's a really interesting point about the suit sales. I, I Of course, no one was buying suits when you're in your pajamas and then it sort of comes back. So I wonder how much impact does like environmental changes have on your sort of messaging. I know like Super Bowl companies will do a lot of really instant type things. I think a couple of years ago there was a blackout at the Super Bowl and like Oreo made it like a fairly quick thing and it went viral because it was all very related to that environment. And I wonder in, in your sort of experience, that kind of environmental changes, should you kind of always take that into consideration? Is it something that it happens so quickly that you really need someone to be on it all the time? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, if you look at someone like, uh, and I think this is a, a common mistake that businesses make is that they look at, um, oh, how, how, how is Nike marketing itself? And then they try and like emulate that and copy mm-hmm. that. But it's like, you're not Nike. <laughs> if everybody in the world doesn't already know exactly who you are and exactly what it is that you do, then you need to be spending your time educating them on mm-hmm the value that you provide. And so what's less important than kind of like jumping on like the, the latest hot thing just to like keep top of mind so that when the, when they're at the supermarket and they grab the Oreos off the shelf, for most businesses, for most small to medium to even large businesses, the focus is really on how are we different from everyone else? And then really, really reinforcing that at every single touch point that a potential customer has with you. If you go into like a if you go into like a you know a hotel like a like a Hilton or a Hyatt or a Marriott they're all kind of the same. They all kind of feel more or less the same. They all have the same lobby layout, they all have the same rooms more or less. And that's because hotels have become like this commodity and they're kind of interchangeable. And when you get to this kind of like the upper levels of like these big markets, these big industries, it's kind of the sameness is pervasive. Mm. And so what you need to do if you're like a hotel that's trying to like make a name for itself, you have to be wildly different to them, mm. different and better. That's what people care about. That's how you get attention. And so what I would recommend to brands is like, you know what, you could probably you can ignore the Super Bowl blackout and just keep focusing on like how are we educating our ideal customer about how we're different, how we're better how we're special and how we get Mm. good results for them sooner than the other guys. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that comes down to you really have to understand what your uh, USP is, your unique selling proposition. Like what what is it about? I mean, uh, Bettercast, we we have this problem as well. Everyone is doing a platform 
they're all fairly the same type of platforms. Where do you find or how do you come to know your difference? And I guess that, of course, informs that conversation. Yeah, I guess that's that's a lot of internal reflection that hotels eventually yeah, have to have. Yes, it is. I would say one thing, there's it's kind of there's there's kind of two kind of positioning strategies that you can kind of go with here. One is that you go feature-based positioning, which mm-hmm. is like, hey, we have this kind of capability that everyone else doesn't have. Or you go sub-segment positioning, where it's just like, hey, we're just going to be, we're gonna, we've identified a narrow market and we're just going to be the very best solution for these types of people. Mm. If you look at like email service providers like MailChimp and that, there, there's like hundreds of these companies that are all mm. providing. And MailChimp, you'll notice, can be quite like broad in their messaging. They can be quite fuzzy because everybody already knows who they are. They are the category leader. But for everyone else, they have to say, well, here is how we are different from MailChimp. And so you have someone like ConvertKit coming in and they're like, we're just, we're MailChimp, but we're only for um, authors and like kind of bloggers Mm -hmm. and online creators. And it's like, you know, we actually don't even have most of the features and functionality that MailChimp has, but because we've focused so much and we've obsessed over this market, we know exactly what they need. And they actually don't need all of that stuff. They only need this stuff and it needs to be easy to navigate, easy to use, and just the perfect solution for them. If you're not winning on features, win on the market. I've been hearing that a lot, actually. Uh, I had a, we, I did a podcast with uh, Julius, Julius Solaris, who's uh, an event tech guru. Um, and one of the things he was saying and that you've saying and that someone told you is that hyper-focus is what wins out, it seems. Yeah. I think even Facebook, uh, I mean, some I've heard that some of the reason they got so good or big was hyper-focus. This is only for university students yes. at this university. And then it's for university students at other universities. And from that, it exploded. But it was exactly. that hyper-focus. I was literally thinking about that exact thing yesterday. <laughs> I was like, they, they did a classic big fish, smaller pond play where it's like, we're only yeah. for Harvard students. Okay, we're only yeah. for Ivy League students. Okay, we're only for college students. <laughs> and the pond kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so by the time it was ready for the global stage, all the pieces were set. They'd done so yeah. much user testing. They'd done like so much iteration upon it. And then they continue to after they went global as well. Um, but it's just so the play. And all they had to do is go head to head with, you know, MySpace essentially. Mm. Like they didn't create the social media category that was like Friendster or some there, other. Yeah. yeah, that was already there. They just had to be better than MySpace. And mm. they were like, cool, here's all the things that we do different to MySpace. Here's why we're the better option. And it objectively was. And so people flocked to that. I guess going back to events, like, you know, events are trying to attract as many different people as possible. Let's say that uh, they have multiple personas just for the fact of like you've got attendees and you've got like people who are interested in the content, people who are interested in networking, people who are trying to sell. Like there's there's very different personas and reasons for attending. Mm. When considering you have to be focused but I can't be focused, Yeah, um, h- how do you kind of blend that? How, 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 like – what do you do? Yeah. So what I like to do and what I see a lot of businesses doing, um, Hotjar is a good example of this. They're like this, um, uh, they, they create heat maps for your website and they have like, you know, user recordings and stuff like that. And they identified that there's actually like three roles that kind of keenly benefit from this service. You've got like a pro- project manager, a product manager, a a marketing person and you've got like a the in-house analytics person and they can all like really benefit from this and so what you see on their homepage is that they have like hey if you're a product manager 
go here. If you're a marketing person, go here. If you're and so, but they, but that's not the first thing that you see. They kind of have what I call like global messaging. And then they drill down into local messaging. Mm -hmm. And so you want that global messaging to be talking to all the things that they have, that all these kind of key personas have in common. Like, what are they all trying to achieve? What are they all trying to get better at? And then you can drill down into the specific use cases for each one. Here is how specifically this is good for you. So that's kind of my approach. Oh, it's not a simple subject, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's tricky. It's complicated. It's like, I mean, I've been copywriting for, I don't even know how long it feels like my whole life. And it's still just like agony. <laughs> it, it never gets easier, but um, but it's, it's always worth it. And it's like a awesome. fun, like word puzzle to oneself. Uh, you mentioned HubSpot, Neil Patel blogs. Um, where is there anywhere else people can go to learn a little bit more so they can start to implement some of these strategies? Yeah, I mean, if you want to uh, learn about copywriting specifically, which I think every, like literally everyone should do, I think it's going to be one of the most worthwhile skills in the next 20 years is just like mm-hmm. learning how to convey value either for yourself or for um, you know whatever company that you're working for or, or that you own. And so on the copywriting front, I would recommend there's a woman called Alex Cotoni on YouTube. Mm-hmm who does these really great, like very digestible, like 10 minute videos where she'll just dive into like a a principle of copywriting so that you can kind of get your head in the zone. If you're on TikTok, you can follow meaningful.marketing, which is my account. um, Which I recommend you follow. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I mean, and and really like the general advice for TikTok is like to post three to five times a day. Um, And I don't post three, three to five times a day. I don't post three to five times a week. I post like two to three times a month but I really just focus on quality rather than mm. quantity there. And so everything there is very curated. So you can just dive into there. And then like book wise, there's a really good book called, there's one that I keep, I mean, there's a lot of really good books out there, but there's one I keep coming back to, which is called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. Um, and it's all about like the difference between an idea that that flops an idea that that's actually sticky that actually like lodges in someone's brain and like they've actually got this like five kind of criteria that they've identified of like what creates a sticky idea and it's a really great like extrapolation of of that and so you can start to like craft these good these angles these messages these hooks that actually lodge in people's brains i'm going to pick you up on something uh tiktok if we can for just a moment yeah um You've gone from zero to 100,000 people following your, your videos and, and what you're doing. The first question is most of the people who watch this are a slightly older generation and TikTok is seen generally as a dancing type app. How have you found being B2B service, mm. um, putting out your content, have you found any positive or what's the net result from being on TikTok for you? These days... of my clients come from either TikTok or word of mouth. I am not on LinkedIn. (laughs) I'm not putting ads anywhere. I I literally, I am 100% on TikTok and I've turned it into like a six-figure business just kind of on my own. So I would recommend people get on it now. TikTok is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and that's because TikTok promotes organic reach if you go on instagram if you go on facebook if you go even on linkedin the the reach that you can get for free is capped severely linkedin's Mm. probably more flexible uh, facebook and instagram are very much like a pay-to-play system and they're very open about that but tiktok is like you can get in front of exactly your target market at scale 
for free. I haven't mm. paid a cent. <laughs> it's it's wild. And so I really, really recommend that at least check it out. At yeah. least check it out because there's a lot of it's a it's an educational platform as much as anything else. And the algorithm learns about you. People talk about the TikTok algorithm of, oh my God, it's this amazing algorithm. It's actually no different to like YouTube's algorithm, but because the videos are shorter and because the user interface is so much more like rapid fire, it just learns about you much more quickly than YouTube does. It learns Mm -hmm. about you in like an hour or two, what takes a few months for YouTube to learn. And so it actually gets very precise on like what you are interested in. So I don't see any dancing videos. They are there, (laughs) I don't see them on my feed. I only see like, here is some like top of the line educational like marketing information from like some of the biggest like thought leaders in the world who really know what they're talking about Mm. and it's this amazing organic platform where you can like learn so much about what's actually going on so yeah i recommend it i do tiktok i do tiktok videos i try and do one a day um and i just do videos about building software and working in in SaaS and um, understanding the technology uh less about you know, better cast, but more about like technology and stuff, um, which is probably if I was listening to you, not the right way for me to use TikTok because I should be focusing on events to drive customers. <laughs> right. Um, have you found that there is a different way of messaging on TikTok? Like I can't sell my product because no one wants to watch a video of you just talking about my product is great, buy it. Like, is there a different approach to TikTok than other sort of things that people might be used to? Yeah, I mean, I think TikTok really is like, this is perfect because I've literally just written an email uh, to my mailing list about how to like grow on TikTok. TikTok is a, you know, just like a, like a Moroccan rug bazaar. TikTok mm-hmm. is a marketplace like any other, except instead of purchasing things with money, they purchase things with their attention. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make your content investable because that's what people are buying. They're paying attention. And so if you can get people's attention, well, there's really two ways of doing that. Number one, you make your production value better than anything else on the platform. And that way people are like, okay, wow, this looks amazing. This looks and sounds great. Or, I mean, and that's very, very hard to do. And I wouldn't recommend anyone try and do that. Number two is simply just to say what other people aren't saying on that platform. And that's much easier to do because then you are like tap, you're finding like an unmet kind of need, an unspoken thing on that platform and then you can grow from there. So it's quite, see, I got onto TikTok early and so it's quite easy for me to talk about copywriting because no one else is talking about copywriting and that's quite a broad (laughs) topic and that's why I can kind of get a big audience. These days it's a bit harder and it's the same thing with every platform is that like the the categories get filled up and so you have to kind of, it's you got to hyper-focus, you got to like find the niche within that of like, all right, I'm going to talk to these people and these people, people specifically. So I don't get like much like event content on my feed because I'm not in that world but if you were to be like hey this is actually the what you should know in order to run a successful virtual and hybrid event like here is what we tell everyone when i'm onboarding a new client here is what i teach them all that kind of stuff then that's valuable to that subsegment of people and then you're just positioning yourself as an expert guide authority thought leader which is exactly what it's for I, uh, I think i'm gonna have to find someone to, from tiktok and do a, a podcast with them to find out more information um, that'd be really cool. So, uh, just to wrap it up, if someone wants to work specifically with you to work on their messaging, uh, how can they reach out to you? 
Yeah, so if you are a a B2B or a service-based business, I can help you with your positioning, your messaging, and your like website copy. So you can reach out to me. My website is meaningfulmarketing.com.au and there's a form at the bottom. If you fill it out, I will be in touch. Alex, thank you so very, very much for your time. It's been absolutely enlightening. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. 